0: if you take an orange seed and you plant it in your front yard and you woke up the next day and there was an orange tree there with oranges on it, that, w- that would be a miracle. But if you take that seed and you plant it in your front yard and you give it sun and water and take care of it, first year goes by and you and you give it fertilizer and you let it do its thing and the second year goes by and fourth, fifth, sixth year and the seventh year and finally you walk out of your house and you walk up to that orange tree and you pick an orange off of it, well, that that's still a miracle.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. Studio A.A. Deep in the heart of Texas. That there was the voice of Mr. Tim D. That you heard at the beginning of this episode here. number Episode number 264. And guess what? You will be hearing so much more from him And un momento. But first things first, this here episode is brought to you by sponsored by if you will dave andrew kate marie david kim michelle and clinton what you may ask did dave andrew kate marie david david kim michelle and clinton do Well, they went to our website soberspeak.com Clicked on that little yellow donate tab and they made a a contribution. so thank you so much, Dave, Andrew, Kate, Marie, David, Kim, Michelle, and Clinton. This here episode is coming right out to Ewans so you know I just remembered I had a gentleman email me just recently. I think he emailed me. It could have been through Instagram or something like that, but uh he said, will you please set up a Venmo to make this uh, easier to uh, donate. So I don't know, I may look at that in here in the near future. I try to keep it as simple as possible. But uh, uh, thank you, though, for that uh, suggestion. All right, what do we have today? Well, first of all, it's a Sunday here. I just did my little pregame warm up. In other words, I I took a sniff or two of that uh, peppermint uh, essential oils that I had to get ready for, I don't know, recording a podcast. My daughter is excited because she's in one of these other rooms because she's listening to Taylor Swift. Apparently, Miss Taylor Swift has just released some uh, new musica. And she is very excited about that. And I, you know, I like Taylor Swift. I'm, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. What do they call Taylor Swift's fans? I guess it'd be like a Swifty or something like that. Or is there an actual title for the fans? I could go ask my daughter. I'm sure she'd know. But anyway, she's doing that. My son is working on his PC. The PC was overheating, he built the PC from the ground up. Uh, it's overheating and he's out there uh, working on that. In fact, I think what he's going to have to do actually is take it to Best Buy and have the Geek Squad or whatever they're called up there uh, work on it. Uh, he's been working on it for some time now, but it's actually cool to watch him build a PC from the ground up. You know, I just thought everybody bought him from stores, but apparently you can do that and he's been doing that. The lovely Mrs. M is downstairs right now. She's doing some uh, cooking uh, and uh, my sister-in-law, her sister, is uh, about to come over for a visit and I'm trying to get this here episode done before that occurs so I can say hello as well. Oh, and I, moi, it is a Sunday and I am deep into some football, but I'm taking some uh, br- taking a break here uh, to keep... The beast fed. And when I say the beast fed, the, the episodes, right? You gotta keep feeding the beast episode after episode after episode. And uh uh but I enjoy it very much. Keep in mind, everybody, that we are gonna have a big shin dig. What do I mean by that? Well, it's going to be a Sober Speak live again, uh, December 2nd at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in Frisco, Texas. And who, but uh, who do you, who do you think, I I should say who you may ask is going to be the special guest, but it doesn't really, I don't know, that doesn't flow. But nonetheless, the special guest who will be with me and with all of us at this uh, wonderful event is going to be Gary Kay. Yes, the one and only Gary Kay from Sulphur Springs, Texas. So we have him coming in and uh, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be a live event. It starts at 6.30 p.m. If you go to our website, www.soberspeak.com. There's a tab across the top of the website and it says Sober Speak Live. You can click on that. And guess what? It'll give you all the details. And we're actually not only going to be doing it live, but we're going to do it uh, live via, well live like in person, but we're also going to do it live via Zoom. And I don't have the information up there yet, but I bet by the time you hear this, uh, I will have that information up there. So if you are, in New Zealand, uh, or you're in the United Kingdom, or you're in the United States, or wherever you happen to be, you can tune in and watch our event live with me and Gary Kay. And not only are we going to have a Sober Speak live event, but on the tail end of that, in the same room after the event, The Frisco group, which I attend, I'm sure many of you have heard me talk about it in the past, here in Frisco, Texas, is going to have their uh, holiday party right after that on December 2nd. So, you get a lot of the people that I gather up or at or request that they be on the podcast are from that group. Oh, gosh, there's David G. I, well, I don't want to start going down the list because I'm going to uh, miss somebody. But anyway, you'll be able to meet them in person if you would like to do that. So anyway, I look forward to it. if you have any questions on that, feel free to email me uh, at J O H N at SoberSpeak.com. And if you have any questions... That you want me to ask of Gary K, feel more than free to go ahead and uh, send me your questions. We may, we may not be able to get it on. And by the way, the event is free. Um, uh, you know, we pass the basket at the end uh, uh, to cover some uh, expenses, but uh, just so you know that. But we may, we may not be able to get your question to Gary K. I've only got a certain amount of time, but I would be interested to know what. Uh, you would like to hear. I think also we will be having live music, and every time I hear that, I think live music as opposed to a dead person playing music. But you get what I'm saying. There's going to be somebody playing music up there, and even if they're not playing music up there live, we will have uh, music being played in the venue that we are at because the the church is very well set up. All right. Um, let me see here, Kim reached out. She DM'd via the Insta this week, and she said, John, today is my 13 years sober. I don't have anyone to tell or celebrate it with, and it makes me sad. But, of course, it also makes me happy, just that I've made it this long. The last few you, few years have been especially good because of your podcast. I've learned so much. Thank you for being there. You, John, your guest, and hey, all your Sober Speak listeners, I'm glad you're out there too. Happy birthday to me. And she puts a little party smiley face guy. And so I just wanted to say happy birthday, Kim, on your 13 years. If I remember right, Kim, you basically listen in on the podcast. You've never been to a meeting. Uh, It's not your thing. But, uh, you know, as far as I am concerned, Miss Kim, you are indeed an honorary member of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. You probably, because you listen to Sober Speak so much, you probably know more about Alcoholics Anonymous than some of the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. But we sure would love to get you in a meeting today so now you are not celebrating by yourself you're celebrating with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of listeners so happy birthday happy 13th birthday kim now on to our speaker mr tim d this here episode is called the orange tree Tim has been sober since 1987. We talk about several things. We talk about the miracle of an orange tree and what that means, and thus why we have it as the title of this uh, here episode. We talk about W.C. Fields. (laughs) I love W.C. Fields. Uh, What does he say? Oh, and we talk about it in here. It's uh, loopholes, my friend. Looking for loopholes. So we talk about W.C. Fields. We talk about Tim driving naked. Through a bar, on a moped. Yes, we get ourselves in some uncomfortable situations for sure. Probably more uncomfortable for <laughs> for all the other people. Uh, we talk about the shame drinking causes. We talk about Harry the Wino, Big Book Dick, Crazy Margie, and Woody. And then we talk about quote not drinking unquote and what that means. All right, everybody. Enjoy Tim D. And we will have, uh, have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. And this is going to be a little bit of an interesting uh, listener feedback just because, you know, I think I'm going to start a, uh, a segment called John M. Sucks. Uh, Or John M. Bites, maybe John M. Stinks. I don't know, Down with John M., something like that. Uh, So I'm going to play you a a clip of somebody who is not one of my uh, biggest fans. Uh, It's a voicemail on the end of this episode. But in the meantime, please enjoy Tim D. Okay, everybody. So today we're sitting here with Tim D. So Tim... First things first, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live.
0: Uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, My name is Tim. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, My sobriety date is December 26, 1987, and uh, I'm living in Cleveland, Ohio.
1: So let me just go ahead and tell everybody how we met. So uh, we have had another Tim on the podcast in the past. His name is Tim F. A lot of people will be familiar with him. Uh, it's fairly recent. We recorded a, uh, an episode with him. A couple of episodes, actually. And uh, Tim, I guess you guys have been great friends for years, or at least uh, friends of some sort. And he highly recommended you to be on the podcast. So, is is uh, do everyone are everyone of Tim's friends named Tim, or is it some <laughs> sort of coincidence?
0: <laughs> well, we met um, I don't know six no about ten years ago. I guess um, I was traveling for work, and he was. We were both living in Columbia, Maryland. And um um both of us got sober at a young age and both of us had uh jobs that had odd hours. And we both ended up in the same home group, which was on Friday nights at 1037, uh, and it was a young people's meeting and it was called the spiritual kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And uh uh the funny thing about that home group was it used to be in the book as 1030, and they switched it through group conscious to 1037 and because um, they never started on time and um as soon as they switched it to ten thirty seven, um, uh, attendance uh doubled uh, probably in like three or four three or four months um, and so we were the uh, uh i don't know if uh, i guess tim was more the uh curmudgeon of the group i'm, I'm just kidding he really wasn't but um and we both uh, just became friends, and he was there a couple months before I was, so he was Tim, and I was Tim two. So
1: <laughs> you were Tim two, yeah. so you didn't go by Tim F, no. and Tim D. It was right. Tim and Tim two. Right. <laughs> That's great. All right, so it sounds like you're up in the Cleveland area. How long mm-hmm. have you been up in the Cleveland area?
0: Um, since we moved. Um, since my family moved. Uh, in nineteen seventy six, I guess, is when we moved. Um and I guess that that's the goodest part uh, part to start as any really. Um you well, know go for it when I was young. Um we did move a lot. I was born in Lockport, New York. Um and uh we moved around a lot. My dad changed jobs and um I don't really you know remember anything out of the ordinary growing up that way and, and I remember when we moved to uh Cleveland, you know, things, things kind of changed at my house and my dad traveled a lot for work. You know, I would come home and my mom would be taking a nap, um, on the kitchen floor and,
1: uh, <laughs> um,
0: dad was a lot, gone a lot. And, um, you know, there'd be bottles around and there was a lot of fighting. And up until that point, I'd always seen drinking as, you know, something that my parents did socially and and had parties. And I I don't even know when my first drink was. I'm sure it was actually like a cherry out of my dad's Manhattan or or something like that. Um, But I don't remember necessarily my first drink. um, But because we'd always get sips of my uncle's beer or, you know, could have half a beer or, or something like that. But when we moved to, to Cleveland and dad was traveling a lot, my mother's alcoholism really showed up. And I joke about her, um, taking a nap on the kitchen floor and stuff, but that was, I don't know, a year or two of of that kind of behavior when she was really in the, in the, the bottom of her alcoholism. And then, um, like I said, lots of fights and, my father trying to prevent it and locking cabinet doors and, and throwing away all the alcohol and me not really understanding what was going on. And I had an older sister who, who, who tried to take care of us and a younger sister and younger brother. And, um, and then one day, um, I guess I was in sixth or seventh grade. Um, things kind of changed and, um, one or two, three nights a week, my mom would leave after dinner and she would come home at 10 o'clock and, um, She was going to these meeting things and, um, and, um, stuff's, you know, life, I guess, kind of started getting a little more normal around the house. And then, um, at that same time, you know, I was now a teenager and, you know, I hear a lot of leads where like people are like, I didn't fit in and I always didn't feel different. I always felt different. And I always uh, didn't understand things. I remember always being one who would Um, seek out justice like if something was fair or unfair Um, but at the same time i kind of thought that rules were great but they didn't necessarily apply to me years later i remember being in a meeting and somebody showing me a picture of of wc fields looking through a big book of alcoholics anonymous and the caption said loopholes i'm looking for loopholes yeah (laughs) and uh i was that kid who was always looking for the loopholes to uh to to get away with stuff i guess
1: yeah, and I think the original scene from that is he's in one of his movies and he's looking at the Bible. Oh, it is. Yeah, and, somebody must have changed somebody, it to the big book. Right, and somebody came into the room and they said, oh, like, look, we didn't really expect him to be reading the Bible. And they right. said, what are you doing? He said, "Loopholes, looking for loophole.
0: Loopholes. so So, But it's very applicable. I mean, especially when you see newcomers in the meetings, that still applies, I think, sometimes. Um, you see that behavior. And, and I was that guy and um one of the uh things i always remembered was um i was that kid who uh you know i'd pray to god for a bike and i wouldn't get it i'd pray for god for a bike and i wouldn't get it i'd pray to god for a bike i wouldn't get it so finally i would just steal one and ask for forgiveness <laughs> um, and that always like that joke always like made perfect sense to me well, i didn't really steal the bike but the joke made sense and, uh, you know, my, my mom and dad ended up, I guess she was about a year sober and they ended up getting a divorce. And, um, but the only, my mom moved about three miles away from my dad.
1: Just real quick. Do you have yeah. any idea what, um, how your mom was exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous? Or Was that ever discussed?
0: Um, how she was exposed? I, you know what? I don't know. I think she finally just, I think they called the, um, the 12 step line. And I think they came. Some people, um, some women came over, and they did a twelve-step call on her. Um, I'm about ninety percent sure that that's what happened.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so you said she moved about three miles away from your dad, and then what? Mm-hmm.
0: And then um, we lived with her, but you know, it'd be every other Wednesday and every other weekend um, we would spend with my father. And it was quickly apparent that there was like two two sets of rules. And kind of at the same time, I started working in in restaurants, and I started you know, sneaking beers here and sneaking, you know, just normal hot, uh, stuff, I guess, for an 80s kid in high school. And, um, but the rules were different at each um, house. My dad suspected that I went out drinking on a Saturday night and I'd come home maybe a little drunk or tipsy. Um, instead of 1030 mass on Sunday morning, we would go to nine o'clock mass. And, um, followed by a day of chores. So he would make me pay for every beer I had. <laughs> my mother, on the other hand, um, would make sure that Tuesday night at 8 o'clock was clear because I was going to the AA meeting with her, um, right. Tuesday night Bainbridge. Um, and that meeting still exists. And so there was this weird thing, and I would like go to these meetings with my mom and my stepdad, and and, and I would listen to the to funny... I'd listen to a lot of drunkologues, I think. I don't think I would listen to a whole lot of spirituality or recovery. Uh, and I remember seeing one or two kids my age in there, and I'd be like, oh, your parents must have caught you too. And, um, <laughs> um, and this was the 80s, right? And then uh, I think that's about the same time that recovery centers and, and um, rehab started accepting insurance. So if you're a kid in the eighties and you got caught drinking for the 10th time or got caught smoking, smoking, uh, marijuana, or, or I remember a lot of friends getting chipped off to rehab in the eighties, you know, you would, you would see kids, you know, come and go through those rooms. But my mom would just, that was my punishment. And and it wasn't always punishment. I remember going to like anniversaries and, uh, I remember seeing a father Martin chalk talk and, uh, and I just remember like uh you know things were she was happier and and you know there was life in her eyes and and things were better uh for the family and so that's how it went and and I graduated high school and uh I graduated when I was 17 and I had um joined the navy the year before and uh at 17 years old in August of uh, 84 I shipped off to the navy um you know we went to boot camp I remember uh I remember the very first weekend when I graduated boot camp. I probably overdid it a little bit, um, <laughs> and then um, from there I went to uh, to a school. I remember getting the remember getting as drunk as I'd ever been in my life up until that point. Uh, we would go out. I, I went to a school in uh, uh, Lakehurst, New Jersey, where the where the Hindenburg went down every weekend we would go to the the shore and we would get somebody to buy us a bottle of of jack daniels and in a 12 pack or two of beer and we would pass that bottle around before going to the club we were all underage and i didn't really like jack daniels but i would kind of force it down anyway and this went on a couple weekends and uh about the fourth weekend, we went to a party at a hotel, and somebody had a bottle of Southern Comfort, and I just assumed that that was just like Jack Daniels, and I took a sip off of it, and I realized that it was something completely different. And I um, I drank about three quarters of that bottle on a Friday night, and I think I was lucky that it was a three-day weekend. I think I got out of bed on, on Tuesday, and um, and uh, I haven't touched Southern Comfort since. Um <laughs> So that was the lesson. That was the lesson, that Southern comfort was bad. And uh, I went overseas in the Navy, and uh, I went to Rota, Spain for two years. And um, being in the Navy was just like having a 9-to-5 job. And um, um, (coughs) I was on my own for the most part. You know, I, I worked hard and, and I played hard. I remember hearing later on in meetings that you know a lot of people when, before they hit their bottom they have drinking and then they have drinking with problems and then they just have problems. Mm-hmm. And then I definitely started having drinking with problems in in Spain. And um, I couldn't make it to work on time. I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, make a paycheck last from payday to payday. Uh, my my bar tabs were more than my paycheck. Um, so I'd have to switch, switch bars and um, <laughs> and I'd have to go drink at this bar for two weeks till I could pay that one down. And, you know, I'd have to manage my, my, my bar tabs. And, um, That's right. But at the same time, like I was, you know, um, I, I, I tell this people, people now uh, I'm in the restaurant industry and I have a, a lot of employees and stuff and they realize that I don't drink. And they are like, did you ever drink? And I tell them I drank, you know, when I was their age and, Oh, what were you like? And I'm like, well, um, you know, my going away party at Spain, I um, I woke up out of a blackout the next day with uh, $900 in my pocket, which is probably the only time that's ever happened. Um, <laughs> I was told later on that I uh, drove a moped through a bar with uh, Naked. Um, and that was the kind of drinking that I did. Like, I... <laughs> A beer tastes better with your pants off, I guess. Um.
1: <laughs> so a moped through a, moped, a bar naked. Uh, yep, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, In a blackout. Aren't you glad? Uh, like I am very glad that they did not have cell phones. the kind of video right, <laughs> right. equipment that they did when I was drinking. Yes. That they do yeah.
0: now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my was. I would have had, a. I probably would have had to have a lawyer and, and that was just, you know, uh, I remember, I remember, um, pleading with my boss to put me on the night shift so I wouldn't be late. Um, so I'd come in at three o'clock and instead of, you know, have to come in at eight o'clock and I could, I, I won't be late if I come in at three o'clock and, um, you know, it took about four weeks and I was late, you know, coming in for, um, you know, cause I could, Stop drinking at four am. instead of two am. and yeah. and, um, I, and I, I I remember that to this day. It's like yesterday. I remember the first time I was late because I overslept and for my three pm. shift. Um, <laughs> um, and luckily, I didn't get in uh, too much trouble, I guess back then. Um, I did have the uh, mayor of the time. for some reason, I liked to to, to fight a lot when I drank. And the mayor had called the captain of the base and said, if we, if we, if we break up another fight with him in it, we're going to ask you to kick him out of the country. And, um, that didn't happen, but there were certainly warnings there from there. I went to, uh, uh, Ridgecrest, California, China Lake, California, uh, a naval base in the middle of the Mojave desert, North of Edwards. And, uh, the entire population of that town is about 28,000 people. And, um, my drinking kind of continued the same way, and I worked with a lot of people who drank like me, um, and um, so it was kind of normal. But the difference was, you know, that when their alarm went off, they got up in the morning, and I and I still had troubles getting to work. So the the problems were starting to um, build, and um, people were starting to get tired of my uh, actions. Your and
1: shenanigans.
0: Right, and so I would try to be a good sailor, and I and I remember very specifically the last few months of my drinking that I would I didn't drink every single day, but there was definitely days where at nine o'clock in the morning I would be be like, okay, I have a big day tomorrow, and it's important tomorrow, so I'm not going to go out tomorrow. And then about eleven o'clock at lunch, I'd be like, well, I could just have Mm -hmm. you know two at happy hour at four with the guys, and Mm -hmm. then um, and then the next thing i know with the snap of the finger i would be like it's 3 a.m and i would think to myself like how did this happen uh, again and that was the first inkling of maybe there was was an issue um, how old are you at
1: this point approximately
0: 20 Mm -hmm. um and uh, so so i still can't even drink legally right (laughs) so but it was always, you know, that, and it had also come to the point of my life. And, and I guess hindsight, this was more hindsight. And after I got sober that I realized, but that drinking had become my default reaction to life. Um, if I had had a bad day, if I got yelled at by my boss, that was a good reason to drink. If i had had a good day, that was a reason. I mean, my default reaction to everything that happened in life was to pick up a beer or pick up uh, shots of tequila or whatever it was I was drinking. And, um, but I just remember that the feeling of how did this happen again at three o'clock in the morning when I'd planned on not doing that, Mm -hmm. I had made deals with myself. I prayed about it. I, you know, said, don't let this happen. And, And every time it would happen, it would just, how did this happen again? Um, so finally enough was enough. And it, and it, and it happened one too many times and I was late for work one too many times. And my boss, I, you know, I didn't give him any other choice. And he, and he said, fine, I'm, I'm, you're, you're going to the cap, you're going to captain's mast, which is pretty much like, um, misdemeanor court, I guess you go in front of the captain and, and he says you've been late this many times and he could take a stripe or put me in restriction or, um, find me, um, and do those things. And, and it certainly doesn't look good on your record. And, uh, and while it wasn't a major thing, like a not get kicked out of the Navy kind of thing, it was, it was not something you'd wanted to happen. My sister was getting married. This was December of 1987. My leave had already been approved. And they said, we'll deal with you when you get back. And I said, okay. I very distinctly remember like being worried about Captain's Mask on the plane and i had an epiphany on the plane and i said i am going to go to tuesday night beanbridge with my mom while i'm home on leave and i'll do that for the for the two or three weeks that i'm home <coughs> and i'll go in front of that captain i'll be like the problem is i'm an alcoholic captain and he'll pat me on the back and say good job for discovering that yourself and uh, send me on my way that's what i thought in my mind and um It hadn't occurred to me at that point that I I had a problem necessarily. Um, um, I'm pretty sure in the month of December, I remember opening a beer at 5 a.m. after I woke up and I had left it, purposely left it open so it was flat and warm. It would stay down. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, I guess that was, I didn't consider that morning drinking, but I guess, you know, that's kind of what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember having this like great idea to get the captain off my back, um, was to, to use my mom and listen in those meetings and have enough, uh, you know, I knew enough about AA that I can, that I might be able to speak the language in front of the captain and impress him. Um, so I did that. I went to, uh, uh, I went to, I started going to meetings with my mom and I said, I I think I might have a drinking problem. Maybe I should go to some of those meetings with you. And she said, okay. And she kind of left me to my own, you know, we would get to the meeting and she would go sit with her friends. And, um, and I remember well, good those for her, she yeah.
1: knew enough uh, to kind of stay out of the way. Huh? Yeah, she
0: did. And she, she turned me over to the men and, um, for like two weeks, they picked me up every day and would take me to meetings and take me to, I remember going to Harbor light in Cleveland, which is kind of a skid row kind of, uh, uh, you know, a uh, meeting where, where a lot of the, maybe the street, um, guys go and, uh, a woman grabbed, touched the top of my hand and she said, how long have you been sober? And I was like, uh, five days. And she said, how on earth do you look so healthy? And I didn't really pay attention to those meetings. And I, and I do have, I do remember that originally I had, I had, I had stopped drinking on the 19th. So I remember, I remember being in a meeting with with her, and I remember there was a girl that I went to school with was the lead. And her and I had nothing in common. Um, She hung out with different people uh, than I did growing up. She went to college. I went to the Navy. She was in a sorority. I didn't like relate to anything she talked about at all until she was talking about her drinking and and she said um you know it's 3 a.m and how did this happen again and a little light bulb went off in my head and i said oh wait a second um and that was like the first time i really related to anybody in in a meeting where, where i felt like that had happened to someone else as well and i remember introducing myself as an alcoholic. I think at the end of that meeting, they gave me another opportunity to do so. And I think I did stand up and introduce myself. Christmas day came. I remember being at my uncle's house all day long. He kept asking me if I wanted a beer and I was like, no, thanks. No, no, thanks. I was doing fine. I remember coming home. My mom dropped us off at my dad's house at like 11 o'clock on Christmas day. I, um, popped a can of beer in the fridge all, uh, in the kitchen all by myself. Um, I drank one, I drank the second one before I knew it. I was out in the garage cause we had a refrigerator out there and I was looking around for more beer and and something clicked in my head where I said, how did this happen again? And, um, I just went downstairs and I, I fell asleep on the, um, on the couch. Um, And I don't think I even threw those beer cans away. I know, I know I didn't. And, um, I got woken up by my father and it was just his voice. And I could see his silhouette behind, behind me when he woke up. And the only thing he said was, I thought you were going to quit drinking. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in my life, I felt ashamed of my drinking, um, just from those two beers. And, um. I had certainly done things while I was drinking um, that were probably regrettable and shameful. Um, but I don't remember ever feeling shame for those things. And I always remember I would like use blackouts as an excuse for my behavior as like I didn't remember. And um, I remember, you know, the rules don't apply. And if I was and if, and if you were in a blackout, then everything was forgivable. Right. December 26th, 1987, um, is my sobriety date. And I went to those meetings in, in Bainbridge and back then, um, back then, you know, in around Cleveland, there was, um, on the east side of Cleveland, there was one big meeting a night for the most part. And, um, Bainbridge Tuesday would get 300, 350 people at it and be long rows of tables and, my mom would sit with all the ladies, and they would knit, and you know they would do a fifty-fifty raffle, and um, comments would go on. You know, it was, a, it was a, a full lead and comments afterwards, and sometimes those meetings would go an hour and a half, hour and forty-five minutes. And um, so,
1: I, I got a question for you, real quick. I've, I've been up to Cleveland many times. There was a couple of meetings that I went to. One of them was the uh, the Newberg group. That's an old
0: old timer
1: meeting. Oh, man. Man, uh, you know, and if you're listening and you're part of the Niebuhr group, I, I still remember. I, I mean, I was just I, I couldn't even believe it. everyone was yelling at each other. That's some old uh, school. AA there. <laughs> <laughs> old school confrontational. Yep. Um, yeah,
0: I don't know. Is it still
1: the same? Do they uh, still yes, it yell is. at each
0: other? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they yell so much and and a couple of uh, old timers have, have um gone away but you know that's 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 some old school cleveland aa in that meeting
1: <laughs> yeah so i would say if you're traveling and you ever get a chance to Definitely, attend that meeting yep. it's quite a show and it's
0: an old old meeting
1: <laughs> um, all right um, so i got you off track so you so you were going to the going Cambridge to meetings, and, meetings.
0: yeah and, and they were all big 350 people leads and, uh, you know, my time's up at home and I go back and I have a few days before I have to report back to work, but I go back to Ridgecrest, California, China Lake. And, um, I give my little, uh, uh they didn't have Google. So I had to look at my, uh, probably the phone book or, uh, mm-hmm. a California meeting directory. And I was like, Oh, okay. There's the Alano club on high street and, uh, like 28,000 people in the town. And, um, um, so there's an Alano club in Ridgecrest, California, and there's, um, three, you know, 21, 21 meetings a week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, maybe a few couple more early birds or something. And, um, um, you know, that's, that's about all there is for meetings in Ridgecrest, California, unless you wanted to go to like the candlelight meeting on Monday night where all the hippies, you know, talked about feelings and stuff and, <laughs> Um, that was at somebody's house, and uh, um, I remember getting going to a meeting, and I opened the door, and a woman turns her head as I was walking in because um, being a proper newcomer, I, I was exactly five minutes late, and leave you know the second that our father was finished, and but I opened the door to this to this meeting, and a woman turned to me, and she goes, "Uh, uh-uh, honey, this is a woman's only meeting. You can't come in here." And, uh, and I got my first, uh, AA resentment and, uh, right. <laughs> and I was like, I, I was mad. And I was like, I'll show her. And, uh, and I showed her by going to another meeting and, uh, later that night. And, um, and I started and probably for the first six months that I would go to this, it was, you know, it was the same 45 people all the time of 28,000 made 45, maybe 60 people. That were going to meetings. Um and I'm twenty one years old and the nearest person that first year in the meetings was there was another kid my age who who would would take a a newcomer chip like once every two weeks. He just wasn't getting it and I didn't really um hang out with him too much and then he would come and then he'd be gone for Three weeks or a month. And so I would just go to these meetings, and, and it was all old guys and old people, and they're in their 40s and 50s, probably the 30s. But when you're 21 and the next youngest person in the meeting is 28, 28 seems a little old to you when you're 21. And they're discussion meetings. I'm used to 350 people in a, in a, in a room, and this is a big square table. And, you know, when your coffee cup gets empty, uh, you know, eventually somebody will come around the pot and fill it. And at the end of the day, somebody is, you know, at the end of the meeting, somebody's cleaning ashtrays and you could smoke in meetings back there and back then. And um, I was pretty good at when I got called on it saying that I would just listen and I'll, I'll pass. Thank you. And nobody really gave me much grief about it. Um, but I didn't give people a whole lot of opportunities to get to know me either because, like I said, um, you know, it was. Um, convenient to be three four minutes late and and leave as soon as the our father was done you know they would i would look around this room and and i remember thinking (laughs) i remember thinking and listening to the stories and listening to the people in the room that like i I wouldn't drink with any of you (laughs) like (laughs) i don't want to go to a bar with any of you much less sit in a room to listen to me tell you about drinking (laughs) um and um you know all the old guys they all had like nicknames there was uh that woman who yelled at me was was crazy margie uh there was a big book dick uh harry the wino woody like they all like and they laughed and they and i didn't get their jokes and and they all um it got to the point where i would go to the meetings enough and i would sit there in my head and and i would i would have this vision of like sitting next to Bob Costas and like doing play by play of the meeting and be like oh Hutch is going to speak now and Hutch is going to be grateful cuz he didn't kill anyone today and um Harry the wine I was going to talk about his you know uh, his dreams of robbing a bank but never doing it in sobriety and um <laughs> uh big book dick is going to talk about the first 164 pages and i would like nail it every time and then woody would speak and woody woody would at least three times a month for the first four years of my sobriety woody would tell this story and woody would say if you take an orange seed and you plant it in your front yard and you woke up the next day and there was an orange tree there with oranges on it that that would be a miracle but if you take that seed and you plant it in your front yard and you give it sun and water and take care of it and, and um, first year goes by and you, and you give it fertilizer and you let it do its thing and the second year goes by and fourth, fifth, sixth year and the seventh year and finally you walk out of your house and you walk up to that orange tree and you pick an orange off of it, well, that, that's still a miracle. And I remember thinking like, no, you idiot. That's, that's nature. That's how things work. But he would tell this story three, three, three times a month without fail. (laughs) And, um, you know, I would sit there in these meetings and just go like, what am I doing here? And finally, finally, like Harry the wino and, and Leonard kind of pulled me aside and they said, you know, we're going to this weekend down in, uh, uh, Laughlin, Nevada, an AA roundup. And, uh, Leonard was in the Navy. Leonard was a chief in the Navy and he unbeknownst to me had, uh, made arrangements for me to have off for the weekend. So he said, you know, pack your, pack your dress uniform, pack some clothes. We'll pick you up Friday morning or whatever it was that they picked me up. And, uh, it's like a five hour drive from, from China Lake to Laughlin, Nevada, Leonard and Harry, uh, Harry the Wino was, Harry the Wino had like 25 years sober. Um, he would smoke cigars. He always wore flannel. He weighed about 85 pounds. And, uh, to me, he was like a royalty, I guess. And I didn't really speak to Harry unless I was spoken to. And and he wasn't gruff. He was a very nice man. But, um, so these two conspired against me to take me away for the weekend and, uh, um, we're we're leaving and we're going out of town and uh, uh, they're like oh we have to make one stop and they pull over to pick somebody else up and they put crazy Margie in the back car back seat of the car with me and um, she talked the entire five hours now Laughlin Nevada and Harry was pretty smart and Harry would grab me and he'd be like okay we got stuff to do and he would like send me up to the speaker meetings for like an hour and a half early to go save seats. And, um, I'd have to go like put stuff on there and sit there for an hour and a half before the main speaker would start. And I would have to go register us for this and I'd have to go get us coffee. And, um, and for the first time in sobriety, like I had a great time and, uh, hmm. I had a little bit of fun. And I remember on um, the Saturday night speaker that, that, um, weekend this was may of 88 i think mother's day weekend and, and the speaker was uh paulo um from dr, mm-hmm. dr. alcoholic addict mm-hmm. and to me it was like a sign because i didn't know how to pray and i didn't and i grew up catholic and getting on my knees and doing that stuff just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me um growing up on uh, the whole loophole thing and um i didn't know how to pray and i didn't really like organized religion too much but somebody, and it could have been my mother, and it could have been somebody in a meeting. Somebody had showed me um, four forty
1: nine. Um. Yeah, and just for people who may not know who Paulo is, just why don't you set it up? He he wrote Doctor Ac- Dr. Alcohol- Alcoholic,
0: Ac- Ag. and there's, and there's, there's
1: he's uh, the. Whole acceptance thing. Go ahead. The
0: acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today, um, and that used to be four forty nine. Is it four seventeen now? In the new yeah, new they one?
1: they switch it around, and they're about to come out with a fifth edition. I and have, if they keep I it, have, it'll be another one. <laughs> I,
0: I I have one big book, and it's still uh, uh, fourth edition. Fourth edition. So four forty nine, and that um, and you know, and I would listen to like Big Book Dick, who is this little Big Book Thumper. In the meetings, and um, I always got the impression that Big Book did didn't like me too much, and I didn't really necessarily care for him. And he wouldn't uh, if it wasn't the first 164 pages, he wasn't going to talk about it. And um, and that kind of made me upset because some of those stories, uh, Keys to the Kingdom and 449, you know, played a big part in my early sobriety because there were things I could relate to, and I used that acceptance that was my prayer every night that I would, I would open that up and get down on my knees and I would read that. And, um, and it helped me day in and day out. And I, and, um, I got to tell you that the other big thing that helped was, um, not drinking. Right. Um, right. <laughs> Cause sometimes we don't really talk about this, either, right. But, uh, I could tell you that first six months, I'm two weeks over when I get to, to, to cle- or back to Ridgecrest, and, and I'm not drinking, and, um, and it wasn't always easy to not drink. But I can tell you some things happened, and just because I went to meetings and I didn't share, and just because I went to meetings and I sort of listened, but I went to meetings and I did not drink, here's what happened. I became a better employee in the Navy. I became a better son to my parents because I would call them every couple of days. I became a better friend to my friends because I was there, I guess. So things did improve in my life without me doing anything but not drinking. Um, And sometimes I don't think we talk about that enough in, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous that, you know, Somebody asked me the other day when they realized how long it had been since I had had a drink, and they were like, "How did you do it?" And I said, "I didn't drink," and that's kind right. of a joke. But the fact of the matter is, that's, right. that's it, right? Mm-hmm. You, 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 you get you get to be, you know, thirty five years sober by not drinking. Um, so we're so to get back to you know, Doctor Paulo, we go on this weekend, and Harry just kind of. St- takes over uh and harry and leonard kind of co-sponsor me uh leonard was was uh harry was leonard's sponsor and um and he told me that leonard would be guiding me through the steps and i just said yes and then the other thing that happened when i got back from that weekend was somebody asked me to the meeting after the meeting and i said yes and it was at that part of the meeting when i finally realized that that while i might not go drinking with any of you, I'm um, having a scoop of ice cream and a cup of coffee, um, after the meeting, um, nobody was going to point at us and be like, there they are. And it was at those meetings when I started to get the people that were sitting around me, the people that kept telling me the same stories over and over and over and over again, that I got to ask questions. And then uh, I remember very specifically one night cause Harry had spoken about being in a hospital bed or something. And, 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 you know, he was a wino. He said something about wine sores and, you know, I didn't know what the wine sores were. And I got to ask somebody after the meeting, like, what are wine sores? And, uh, you know, that's a lot of drinking to get those. Um, <laughs> um, but I started to get asked questions after the meeting and before the meeting. And before you know it, I was showing up 15 minutes early and I was staying 15 minutes late and then going out for a cup of coffee afterwards. And, um, and before I know it, I was back in Cleveland and I was, um, my mother was handing me her one year chip and um, speaking in front of 350 people my first lead in AA, which probably was like 15 minutes long. And, um, you know, and the other thing that happened was like all of my friends were like 40, 50, 60, 75 year old guys. And I hung out with like old guys. <laughs> and it was fun. And besides showing me the steps, you know, those guys showed me what it took to be not just sober, but a sober man, um, and be responsible. Not that my dad didn't try. Um, but you know, when you hit 15 and, um, you know, better than your father, um, you don't tend to listen a whole lot. And, um, I, uh, you know, I started hanging out with these guys and they taught me how to, you know, I, I balance a checkbook and, and, and put a dollar in the basket every time and save that dollar, you know, when you wanted to do something else with it and how to give back and how to be of service. and um, Be
1: an adult, right? Be
0: an adult and how to have friends and how to just enjoy life. And um, suddenly, uh, you know, a year into it, a couple of guys my age started showing up and and Todd is um, Todd showed up. And I remember Todd coming into meetings and, and uh, Todd and I started hanging out and, and Todd has exactly 30 days less sobriety than I do. And there are times where, um, that little competition may have helped, <laughs> and uh, Todd and I are friends. You know, to this day, we're great friends, and um, we just talked the other day, and and we kept each other sober. And I can't tell you how many times, two o'clock in the morning at Denny's, drinking coffee, um, hanging out, talking AA, and 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 just living our life um, was important to me in those early years of sobriety. Um, right. Um, and learning how to have fun not drinking, I guess, was
1: not drinking. You know, that's interesting. uh, You say that, uh, because your friend Tim F comes up to me on a consistent basis and says, Uh, maybe you guys get it from each other. I don't know. He says, uh, You still not drinking? (laughs) Yeah, he does. He says that to me, too.
0: Still, still doing that not drinking thing. But Uh, I think that came from somebody not, not in the program. Asking him about that and then that and then him 12-stepping that person. Yeah. You still doing that not drinking thing? Right, right. Still doing that not drinking. (laughs) Um, So I'm 13 years sober. I'm 13 years sober. I'm married, uh, living in Cleveland, and I was um, training for a new job in Albany, New York. And I come home for a three-day weekend. My wife is at her job. I discover evidence that she had been having an affair. And uh, I was devastated. And I remember calling her and telling her to come home right now. And I remember pacing around the house in circles and my thoughts were that I was going to throw all of her stuff on the, on the tree lawn that I was going to go find that guy and kneecap him with a baseball bat that I was like, I'll show her I'll be hanging from that chandelier when she comes home. That chandelier will never hold my weight. That's plaster and lath. That'll break. I'll never fix that plaster and laugh and that's expensive. (laughs) And Oh yeah, I hate her. And then storming around and thinking all the other things that were going to happen to me because of what she did to me. And she comes home, and I, I end up going to a meeting that night, and I, and I settle down, and I have to go back the next day, and I'm on the plane back to Albany, and I'm, and I'm thinking about how much blaster and lath cost to repair, and uh, we're landing on the plane, and I look out, and there's striations down, and there's, um, there's uh, all the leaves, the autumn leaves in New York at that time, and I'm thinking about how awful it was that she did this to me. And then it occurs to me that, um, I never in that moment, never thought about having a drink. And then that very instant I had realized that damn orange tree. Like I finally, after 13 years of sobriety realized that i had had a personality change strong enough to relieve the obsession to drink. And nobody told me. And that was a miracle, because that is the spiritual experience, right? Uh, changing our personalities to, to relieve us from alcoholism. And um, I'd certainly heard stories time and time and time again of people who had burning bush moments, and that was never me. And um, I was of the educational variety that they talk about in the in the appendix in the back of the big book, Um but, you know, I guess I'm a slower learner than most because it was 13 years before I realized the whole purpose of the orange tree. And it was 13 years before I realized that those old people and those guys in those meetings back in Ridgecrest told those stories over and over and over and over again. Not because they like to hear themselves talk, but so I could understand the stories no matter how many times it took for them telling those stories. And... Um, You know, thank God, Woody told it just enough times, I guess, for me to remember when I had this moment in my life that everything seemed horrible. It was not my default reaction to to even think about drinking. Mm. Wow! And um, I love that. Thank you. Um, And then, as a follow up to that, about two years ago, I get so I became the guy in Ridgecrest with Tim and I in that meeting. I became the guy who always told the orange tree story. They'd be like, "Oh, you're the guy who tells the orange tree story," and I'm like, "Yeah." I get a text like two years ago from a kid that I had sponsored in in Colombia, and it'd probably been eight years or six years since I had seen him, and the text just said, "The orange tree." Now I get it. <laughs> And I told him my reply was, well, it only took you half as long as it took me. So good for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that's funny. That's yeah. funny. So, um, well, just real quick follow up. Also, what happened with that, with your situation? with your? Oh, so wife?
0: I always forget to talk about this whenever I, and people, uh, every other third time I ever tell that story, somebody will come up to me. Well, what happened between you and your wife? Well, we, well, we got a divorce. Um, but um, you know, we got through it probably friendlier than most, and I didn't drink because of it, and, um, and she's doing great, and I'm doing great. So.
1: Good, good, good. Well, Tim, this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I always read from page 164 of the big book to kind of closes out, and I'm going to do that right now. Blessings to you and all of the Cleveland AAers up there. And uh, once again, I sure appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Once again, Mr. Tim D. from Cleveland, Ohio, appreciate your time and willingness to come on to La Sober Speak and share your experience, strength, and hope with the listeners. I'm sure they got a ton out of it. Now, if you did get a ton out of this, and who would not, please take some time to pause your device, maybe share this with another friend or family member, it, the episode, maybe just what they need today. All right, now on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Oh, and I think I told you at the beginning of this episode that uh, when I was going through the introduction to Tim D that I was going to play a voicemail and maybe we should start a new segment called you know john m bites or john m sucks or something like that um and here is proof positive that there are folks out there that uh, would probably be contributors to <laughs> that particular segment in fact why don't we just start it right now here goes john m bites
0: yeah is my message how about you stop talking so much the beginning of the tape speakers and during the speaking time with the questions and the it's not about you man it's about the message we see the name we see the topic that's what we want to hear no offense we appreciate your hard work but don't really want to hear you we want to hear about the topic
1: all right well i do have a couple of thoughts here the first thing that came to my mind was have y'all ever watched that uh saturday night <laughs> <laughs> the Saturday Night Live episode. Uh, this is from quite some time ago, anyway. And the woman would co- the woman would come on, and she go, "Now simmer down, now simmer down, just simmer down." Well, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, and, and you know, here is what I don't get: uh, if it's me, moi, and I am watching as some particular. TV show or listening to a podcast or whatever, and I don't care for the content. Well, in my case, generally speaking, I just turn the station, turn the channel, turn whatever, you know, sometimes figuratively speaking and sometimes literally speaking, but I just go to another station. And and so You know, there are so, oh gosh, there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. And I've listened to a lot of other good podcasts on sobriety, actually. And so there's a lot of stuff out there. So, and another thing, you know, if I, if you take me, moi, out of the equation, and I'm not asking questions, um, and I'm not giving an introduction and I'm not doing listener feedback. I mean, isn't that just called like a speaker tape? I mean, am I right? There are a bajillion, is bajillion a real word? I don't think so. But nonetheless, there are a bajillion of speaker tapes out there all over the interweb. And you can get them at you know any conference that you go to. Now, this particular gentleman here, Uh, He left me a voicemail. Uh, Most people who leave a voicemail will leave an email that goes with it. Unfortunately, I don't have the email, so this is the only way that I can respond. So it it was an anonymous voicemail, and I'm hoping he's listening to me because Mister Anonymous. uh, I'm assuming, by the way, that's a Mister. Sounds like a Mister to me, but Mister Anonymous. That's what we'll call you. If you're listening, please email me at john uh, at soberspeak.com and I really mean this and and here's here's what I would love to be able to do for you because it's interesting part of why a big part of why I started this podcast is because I couldn't find anything else that um I liked um, that that was what I was looking for and I will be happy now I'm a pretty busy guy like most of us right uh, but I will be happy to carve some time out of my schedule And walk you through how to how to create, uh, how to build from the ground up your own podcast. Now, it's it's a lot of work. I'm not going to lie to you, Um, but I'd be willing to kind of teach you the basics and get you going, and then you can. uh, And I really mean I'm not being facetious about this. I really mean that. I think that. Uh, the world, I'm not the only messenger of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Or the 12 steps or anything like that, obviously. Um, but I think that that the more choices that the public has, it's just like meetings, right? They're, this is what happens with meetings. Somebody will go to a meeting, maybe they get some sort of resentment or they don't like it or whatever. They take their coffee pot or, or buy another coffee pot and then they go to start a meeting. And that's how... If things progress and thing, they're the the evolution, if you will. And I'd love for you to be part of that. So um, another thing that uh, <laughs> I remember <laughs> when I heard the voicemail, I don't know why this popped into my head, but it did. And it was that uh, it's like Sammy Davis Jr. from like the 1950s. <laughs> And he used to sing a song, and it went, I gotta be me, I gotta be me, oh, whether I'm right, oh, whether I'm wrong, I've got to be me. I really can't do a Sammy Davis uh, Jr. impersonation, but nonetheless— um, I. <laughs> I started singing that in my head. I guess one of the things that I have learned over my time in Alcoholics Anonymous, first of all, I'm not really a confrontational guy. Um, however, uh, I, I don't like to go head on into, con- uh, uh, into confrontation, but I, w- but I don't avoid it if it's necessary, you know? Um, and, and I have learned that for me, I've got to be true to my own self. And and by the way, if I did not put like an introduction on the beginning and all the listener feedback on the end, believe me, folks, this thing would take me so, so much less time. But so far between me and my higher power, um, it, it seems like the right thing to do. A- have you ever been to a meeting uh, when, um, an AA meeting or whatever 12-step program you go to and something controversial comes up in the meeting maybe it's like a uh uh, people claim that this is the only way to do the steps, or this is exactly what the founders meant by such and such uh, uh, or somebody does something that 's kind of uh, inappropriate uh, maybe they're they're speaking about uh alcohol and drugs and and other outside issues as they call it and and what happens is there 's tension in the room well in many ways, that tension is productive for me because it helps me to crystallize in my head what I really believe and and what what is the right thing between me and my higher power. Maybe even what is the best thing for, maybe I need to take a back seat and what is the best thing for Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole. And, and, And so that's what that tension does for me. And Mr. Anonymous, thanks for leaving the uh, voicemail. I appreciate it. It definitely got me thinking and I'm hoping it did the same for the listeners as well. Now on to a little bit more listener feedback. Connie writes in. Connie says, Hi, John. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon since September 2018, and I found your podcast via The Recovery Show. Yes, my friend, Spencer. She says, I just love the experience, strength, and hope shared there, and I took Spencer's recommendation to take a listen to your show, and I'm so glad I did, and we're glad you did too, Connie. As a mom with a son in recovery, I make it a point to learn everything I can about the disease of alcoholism, I would do the same if he had cancer, diabetes, or any other disease. I like how you put that, Connie. I am in central New York, just to the east side of Syracuse in my beautiful Madison County. Unfortunately, there are so many families like ours, powerless over alcoholism, gathering together and sharing experience, strength, and hope. Your show, uh, on um, Brian P's story God's not through with me yet yeah that was excellent wasn't it uh gave me a program friend and i so the, and i so much connect with him how grateful we are no matter which program to have god in the details big Be- Hearts. Thank you for all you do for the families of both programs. The love can be felt in all you do and through your guest shares. A very grateful mom in Canistota. Yeah, Canistota, New York. My home meeting is in Peterborough, new york the united methodist church thursday 7 p.m a four-step meeting and 8 p.m a step study <laughs> so if y'all are up there for that meeting please be sure to tell connie i said hello and uh then she signs it with oh this is from lois remembers the well of love refills itself the more one gives of love the more one has to give lois remembers page 195 thanks connie for writing in vicky writes in and vicky says hi john m I live in Brownsville, Texas, and I just started listening to your podcast on my daily walks instead of getting worked up listening to news. <laughs> Good for you, Vicki. I am seven years sober thanks to this program and active in the program here in Brownsville. I am a recent resident of Texas. I moved from D.C. a year ago, originally from New York City. Wow, that must be quite a... Culture shock coming from uh, DC and New York down to Brownsville. Glad you're enjoying it down there. She says, so far, Mickey B's story has resonated with me the most, but I just started listening to you a few days ago and I will keep coming back. P.S. I downloaded the Spiritual Toolkit app, which another of your speakers had mentioned, and I really like doing the evening inventory. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was David G who had mentioned that. Uh, For anybody else who wants to go out there and get it, we're not promoting it or anything like that, but it does seem to help a lot of people. The Spiritual Toolkit app, I think, is what it's called. Beverly writes in and she says, hi, John, my sponsee just recently turned me on to SoberSpeak and I'm really enjoying listening to a new way of thinking. We moved to San San Antonio, Texas a little over a year ago. I learned from my alcoholism. I learned of my alcoholism through Al-Anon, which I attended because my previous husband was an alcoholic. My current husband is a normie and has never seen me drunk. I hope all is well in your world, Beverly C. Well, Beverly C., all is dandy here, and the same to you. B Sue writes in, and I, this short for. Barbara Sue, B-Sue, she says, good morning, John M. I am a fellow traveler in the Gary K line. Introduce me to uh, Sober Speak this week. So just as a reminder, I know I said this on the front end, but we are going to have the Mr. Gary K as a guest, a speaker at our live event on December 2nd in... uh, 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 in Frisco, Texas. And if you go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and click on the tab at the top. It says Sober Speak Live. You can see all the deets there. Anyway, uh, B. Sue goes on. My AA birthday is 12-1 of 2019. Oh, you're coming up on a birthday here. She says, I grew up in an alcoholic home. My first drink was at 12 years old. I hated the taste, but I liked the buzz. I think I can relate to that. She says, I drank for years very cautiously because I couldn't drink like my alcoholic mom. The last 10 to 12 of my working years, the booze drinking symptoms were in full Force, the insanity, emotional suicide, drinking days. I knew about AA from my mom's sobriety journey and, oh yeah, the mandatory ALA team meetings, open AA meetings, which were both required and demanded by mom, and my Al Anon meetings. My exes had a problem, not me, laugh out loud. <laughs> I found AA for my, I found AA myself after my last geographical move. I went from Louisiana back home to Texas. I stopped drinking just for my hip surgery, just for my first hip surgery, ha in July of 2019 and came through the Archway that December. Thank God, Archway with a big O, capital A. I've had the, quote, isms. Forever, born into the world of alcoholism. I'm walking today in a grateful sobriety and some uh, semblance of wonderful sanity that's still budding. The journey, this way of life that really works, it saved my life. My heart's desire is to stay, stay sober, to share the love and service others so freely shared with me. Be Sue. Well, be Sue! Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much, uh, Sue. I appreciate you writing in, and I'm glad that you have caught fire. I believe, I believe, I believe that is another episode down the tubes of, uh, (laughs) down the tubes. I'm sorry, I got distracted. I was looking over at a football game. (laughs) (laughs) okay you caught me okay i fessed up there you go anyway that's another uh episode of sober speak down the drain uh that sounds that doesn't sound right though down the drain that makes it sound kind of like negative uh that's another episode of sober speak in the books in the can another one that shall be released shortly anyway god bless you Uh, May God keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if if you work it. Love you guys. Thanks.